the message the Lord has put in my heart is called Stop Fighting God's Work. Stop Fighting God's Work. Lord God, I just ask that you would anoint me, Lord, and would you put your unction upon me, Lord. I want to disappear because, Lord, this is such a painful message. And yet, Lord, I know you want me to stop fighting your work in my heart. So, Lord, thank you, Jesus, that you would speak to me. And, Lord, thank you that you would speak to this congregation. Mighty God, have your way in my heart and in the hearts of each one of us, Lord, that you may win the battle and your name may be lifted high. Thank you, Jesus. I give you glory. In your holy name, amen. Stop fighting God's work. Even the title just grinds in my heart and my soul. And I say, oh Lord, where? Where do I fight against your work in my heart? How do I do this? And he reminded me of one of my favorite characters in the Bible, Joseph. He was the future ruler of Egypt. He was the late-born, greatly beloved son of Jacob and Rachel. And remember Leah, his first wife. She was fertile. But she wasn't his first love. Rachel was. And Rachel was barren for years. Yet these sisters were in constant competition. Who's going to have the most children? Who's going to be the best loved by Jacob? And there's this race. Four here, two here, another four, another two, ten sons, and Rachel still is barren. She can't handle this. She's crying out to the Lord. And she has been waiting at least 15 years. And then the Lord remembered her, and she gave birth to her first son. And she said, God has finally taken away my disgrace. And she named this child Joseph. Can you imagine the joy in Jacob's heart as his finally beloved wife brings him this prized boy? And so his heart says, oh, I've got to go find more servants to hire more help for Rachel so that every wish and everything that she needs will be ready to feed and dress this beautiful, adorable son. Joseph inherited his mother's kindness, her gracefulness, her sweetness, and even her beauty. He grew to be a handsome young man. He was quick to learn. But he had a soft heart towards God. He was willing to be melted and molded. He was willing to be tested and tried. And who could have asked yet for a child in this family that could be growing up and be spoiled? But the Lord had a plan for Joseph. Every false pretense had to be erased or he couldn't be where God wanted him to be. The result would be 20 years of painful, lonely life for Joseph, in prison, in Egypt, and separated from his father who loved him and his mother who doted on him. 
all by himself, never understanding what's happened. And God would crush this father's favoritism and his mother's indulgence. You see, God didn't have the 40 years he had with Moses. He couldn't send him out in the desert and say, go raise sheep for 40 years until I have you tempered and, and, and tried and pressed into. No, the Lord's time clock was moving rapidly and he required a ruler in Egypt in much less time than 40 years. So here we see Rachel, she's pregnant. Joseph was probably 10 years old when she began great difficulty with her second child. The midwife tried to encourage her by saying, Rachel, Rachel, don't be afraid. You have another son. God has blessed you again. She was dying. And this boy, the second son, was given the name Benjamin. Can you imagine the pain and the sorrow in this man's heart? His wife, after she waited 15 years to have two children, and she dies during the birth of her second son. Yet, as you look in the story, there was a deeper loss for Joseph. You see, he lost his loving, doting mother. I know God gave him this mother because he had him for a very short time. She loved him. She adored him. And his father did too. But the Lord took away his mother. Genesis, the 37th chapter, verse 2. Joseph, a young man of 17 years, was tending the flocks with his brothers. And he brought their father a bad report about them. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had borne him in his old age. And he made him a richly ornamented robe for him. When the brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him more, and they could not even speak a kind word to him. This word, a bad report, in Hebrew, it, the word really comes from the word evil report, or wicked report. We don't know the evil that these brothers were involved in. They were full-grown sons at this time. Now that they were far away from their father, their hearts were exposed, and they gave in to the temptations of sin. It was obvious that it was something wicked that they would never dare get away with at home in front of their father. Yet Joseph, he reacted strongly against this, unethical and in moral behavior. We can see that God's called this child to a life of purity, to be a faithful witness of truth. And it was the restraining power of the Holy Spirit that Joseph didn't go out there and become involved in their wickedness because at 17 it would be so easy to follow his older brothers, no matter what they are doing. You know, after all, 
They were his mentor, regardless what they thought of him. But he refused to participate with their wickedness. He refused at a young kid, 17 years old, and he said, I won't, I won't participate with the sin. Instead, he went home and he reported this to his father with integrity. But his brothers, they scoffed at him and they tagged him tattletale. He knew that this was wicked and he wanted his father in his heart. He wanted his father to correct his brothers. He wanted his family to be holy. And if Jacob would only rebuke his sons, if Jacob then had only rebuked his sons, Jacob could, could have saved his heart much more shame and hurt and pain in the next few years. But Jacob was silent and sat there. Jacob did something else. He, he made a rich robe for Joseph. And this was a royal robe. It was long and flowing in the sleeves. It was colorful. It was made and woven with very beautiful fabric, probably linen or, or cotton. It probably even came out of Egypt. This act of love from Jacob even brought more obvious hatred and jealousy towards Joseph. Look at this in verse 5. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. And he says to him innocently, listen to the dream I had. We were all binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf was lifted up and stood upright while your sheaves gathered round mine and bowed down. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and what he had said. When he told his father and his brothers about another dream he had, he said this time the dream was about the sun and the moon and the stars, and they were bowing down to me. His father rebuked him. His father rebuked him, and he said, What's this dream you had, Joseph? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come down and bow down to the ground before you? Jacob, who had had dreams from the Lord God and spoken to his heart, he would say to his son, Why would you speak of this? He rebuked him. But you know, Jacob had another choice. What if he said to him, Son, you know, I had a dream. I had a dream when I was fleeing from my brother Esau. He was about to kill me. But God spoke to me. And I made a vow that I would serve him no matter what. But it was frightening to me. I had to run away from home. And I had to sleep on the ground. And the only pillow I had was a rock. But in the night, God spoke to me in a dream and a ladder. And he came down. And he revealed himself to me and he encouraged my heart. Maybe this is what God's trying to do to you. Maybe he's trying to encourage your heart. Maybe he's trying to tell you what's going to happen. 
But let me tell you what happened to me. After 20 years, I went to my Uncle Laban. And he, he was so unfair with me with deal after deal after deal. I finally met God. And I fought with God until he, he took away and gave me victory over my cheating, over my lying, and over my prideful heart. Now, son, let me pray with you. Let me pray with you. And ask God to teach you his ways. He has something he wants to do to you. Wouldn't that be an obvious response from Jacob? After all, Jacob met God. He fought with God. He's the only man we knew about in the Old Testament. And even in the New Testament. That fought with God. And God left his mark on him. He walked forever. Hip. It was weak. He was weakened. The Lord weakened his strength and said, I want you to know, I am your strength. You're not your strength. And yet Jacob, here he is with his son, telling them about two dreams. Jacob becomes silent. Jacob refused to rebuke his sons. And Jacob would soon lose his beloved son. I want to tell you, if he had stepped into honesty with his son and been transparent, that's teaching his son the ways of God. And Joseph needed a wisely counseled father. But Jacob was blinded by his love and his compassion and his favoritism that he couldn't even guide his beloved son. Yet in all of this mix, all of this mix of failure and, and favoritism, God was still moving. And he was deliberately disturbing Joseph's life. And I'm here to tell you, he's deliberately disturbing my life. And he's deliberately disturbing your life because you're here at the National Prayer Chapel. Yeah. I'm telling you, Joseph's greatest trial was the word of God in his heart. And my greatest trial and your greatest trial is going to be the word of God that's in your heart. And you're going to be confronted where you can... Will you confront wickedness or will you be like Jacob and sit silently and let it fly by? You see, every circumstances of Joseph was met right before him because God wanted to use the jealousy of his brothers. God wanted to use his rich robe. God wanted to use his dreams. God wanted to even use the favoritism of his mother and his father to shape him. But God was not going to allow him to be a spoiled son. He said, I can't have a spoiled son who would be arrogant and to be the ruler where I need him. But instead, his brothers grew malice in their hearts until they were determined to get rid of their brother at all costs. They didn't care what it took. They didn't care. They were angry. They were jealous. They said, He's going to get the blessings, not us. He has all this richness. Why, after all, look what we've done for these 15 years. Doesn't that sound like the elder son and the prodigal story? Now these young sons of Jacob, who had grown up to be men, they decided they needed to find better pasture, so they take their flocks and they go to Shechem. That's just north of where they were living in Hebron. And Joseph is sent by his father Jacob in the midst of their 
hearts going wicked in the midst of their jealousy, in the midst of their evil heart. So Joseph goes out. But he learned that his brothers weren't there in Shechem. They'd gone on to Dothan. Now look what happens in verse 18. But as they saw him come from the distance, before he reached them, they started and they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come, let us kill him. Let us throw him in one of these cisterns. And let's say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what's going to happen with his dreams. It was their desire to destroy Joseph. But God had another plan for Joseph. And his hand restrained them from killing him. And he, he even uses Reuben, the one who had committed incest with one of Jacob's wives. He uses Reuben, who jumps in and tries to rec rescue J Joseph. And he said, let's don't shed blood. Let's don't throw him in the cistern. Let's leave him alone. His plan was to rescue the boy and take him back to the father. Verse 23, when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of this beautiful robe he was wearing. They took him and they threw him into the cistern. And now the cistern was empty. And there was no water in it. I'm here to tell you. They could strip Joseph of his rich robe. They couldn't take what God was building inside. They couldn't take the future promise of God. They couldn't take away the dreams. They couldn't take where God had marked his soul. They couldn't remove his inner righteousness that was growing in his heart. They could only remove the physical clothing, not the inner workings of God. And in that dreadful pit at Dothan, Joseph must have been surprised by the level of his brother's angers. I mean, here he is walking around seeing that God has given him dreams, trying to share it and trying not to be boastful but in his innocent coming across of being a boastful, proud kid. Yet the anger was fanned by God in his brother's hearts because God said, I want you somewhere else. And this horrible pit, here is Joseph, slung down in this pit, wondering, why would my brothers do this to me? I thought they would forget about this. I thought they would love me. I thought they would accept me. You know, when you go for love and acceptance, God wants to smack you and put you in the pit and say, no, that's not what you're about. It's not about being loved and accepted by your friends, by your brothers, by your sisters, by your co-workers. That's not God's plan. His plan is, will you be faithful? Will you be true? All I can tell you is in that horrible pit during that painful night, Joseph was forced to cry out to God for deliverance. And I had to ask the question, was that same ladder of Bethel let down to the bottom of the pit? 
I know that in that lonely, fiery pit, he must have heard the promise of God from his great-grandfather being whispered over and over to his ears. I'm hurt. I'm sure he could hear the Lord saying, Joseph, Joseph, I am the Lord God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, your father. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you in all places wherever you go. I'm sure the Lord reminded him of his vanity and his prideful ways. This pit probably came one of the first beds of Joseph's true repentance. It's in that same pit, the prayer closet, where God wants to have me fight with him, and he wants me to receive life, the life that he has. And the world says to me, no, that pit will kill you. And Jesus says, that pit will bring you life. Now I want to ask you the question the Lord asked me. He said, how have I messed up your life, Jan? How have I hammered your life? I'm trying to shape you into a tool that can be used. Will you follow me? And I had to recount all the ways where God has been hammering on my heart and how he's been trying to shape me. And I rebelled and he would do something else. He would do, he'd find another spot. Let me just tell you. First of all, he stripped me of my career and of my love for money. He took away all this human resource training, this stuff that says, oh, Jan, you're the master trainer. He took me down to the worst trainer, and he said, you're no trainer. I'm going to train you now. He cut off all my professional friends and even my personal friends in Florida. And then he sent me up to marry this pastor in Washington, D.C., this strange man. I said, I'd never marry this preacher. I'd never marry a preacher. And I was even saying this as I left and said, oh, yes, I'll marry you. What on earth have I done? I said, yes. But you see, God was moving in my heart and restraining me and saying, you're going to marry the man I sent you, and you're going to love him. But he didn't tell me anything else because I couldn't have handled anything else. I praise God. But I tell you, he had a plan, and he kept honing on me, and he kept hammering me. I'd rebel. I went to Florida, and I said, hmm, I don't think I'm going to marry this man. And I even called Ray, and I said, you know, I don't really know. I don't really know about that. And you know what he said? That's okay. No one else would have said that to me. They would have said, oh, but I love you, honey, and I need you. Ray said, you're free to go. You're free to, you're free to do what you need, what you want to do. I tell you, that pierced my heart. He said, you're free to go. And I thought, whoa, man. No other man has said that to me. This man must really love me. I better think this through again. That was God because I did not want a man in my life. I wanted money. I wanted career. I wanted fame. 
And God said no to fame. God said no to money. God said no to a career. He said, you're going to be a pastor's wife first. I've got to beat you up a little bit, Jan. I've got to throw you in this pit. I've got to teach you how to be an instant mother. I've got to teach you to do a lot of stuff. Well, I tell you, after the wedding, it hit me fat in the face. My husband was reading his Bible, and I thought, what is this guy? All he's doing, read his Bible all day. And I hated to read. And, you know, I never grew up reading the Bible. I learned about the Bible, but I'd rebelled, and I'd been running from God. And I didn't ever pick up my Bible just to leisurely read my Bible. I tell you now, I love to read my Bible. But God had to put it in my heart. I hated his word. I was running from his word. And when I married this man, I wasn't even following the Lord God. And yet, he said, I'm taking you, Dan, and I'm going to pull you out of this pit. I'm going to pull you out of this hell you're in. You don't know where you're heading, but I'm taking you. And he grabbed me. And I'd say, oh, Lord, what is this? I can look back now and say hallelujah, but I tell you then, it was total torture. I was so depressed. One of my favorite, favorite consultants came, and he was a Christian, and he's the one that said, you know, Jan, after I went through a divorce, he said, you know, you really should go back to your home. Go back to your God. And I thought, oh, yeah, but that was religion, and it didn't work. But, you know, God started perking and piercing my heart and said, yeah, come back to me. Well, this man, after I married Ray, came to visit me in Washington, D.C. One year. His name was Rex. I'll never forget. He came to visit us at the home. I know you remember. And he looked at me and he said, Jan, you're so depressed. You look terrible. All this career that you had, all this talent, it's being wasted. Why don't you go get your Ph.D. and, and become something? You know, in my heart, I really wanted to do that. But there was a restraining power in my soul by then that said, No, I can't do it. And the Lord would not allow me to go further in my career. Instead, he pushed me farther down. Let me tell you what he did. He had to finally give me asthma to lay me down in the bed so I'd finally read the Bible. That was probably five years later of my rebellion. I was determined that I was going to make money. And honey, you pastor the church and I'll make the money. After all, it's just a money problem. You see, Joseph could have gone that same way. He could have been so pampered and so delighted by his father that he could have been the rich young ruler without having God in his heart. But the Lord said, no, no, you're not safe. And the Lord said to me, no, Jan, you're not safe to be anywhere. I have to train you. I have to purge you. I have to, I have to prune you. I have to cut off all these ugly branches. The pain of the pit. We had to move 42 times in seven years. I was so sick of packing and unpacking. We became professional movers. But you see, God had a plan. He kept on saying, will you move for me? Then we go over and look at our furniture shoved in this U-Haul. I'll never forget this. It was 300 square feet, and all of our furniture was jammed in there. 
We couldn't shut the door. It was about this much. We couldn't get down. Five years. Five years all our furniture was in this ugly garage. And we'd see the snow come and it would melt down and run into our furniture. And we'd go in and try to save it. And then we'd open the door and we'd cry, Oh, Lord, this beautiful furniture you gave us, what are you going to do with it? We're going to sell it. Nothing from God. Then we're going to burn it. Because we were angry. Still no answer from God. Silence. And finally God burned in our heart. This furniture has burn on it. Leave it alone. Let me have this furniture. So one day we went down and we stood before this door and we said, Oh Lord, we give you this furniture. It's yours. We can't move it. We can't burn it. And we can't sell it. So we're going to give it back to you. Do with it whatever you want to do. I'm here to tell you, God held that furniture. And we had to move it 40 some times. It's okay. We had church in our home for a year and a half. 50 people a week in one service, twice a week. 100 people in and out our home. The Lord just shredded this furniture. It's his furniture. I had to let go of the beauty. I had to get let go of my decoration skills. You know, they're God's skills now. Then the Lord said, Jan, I've called you to preach the word. I want to tell you, I ran. I ran. I said, God, I can't preach. I haven't had seminary training. You see, I came from this background that said, education, education, career, degrees. You have to know it all. You have to have this degree. What about Joseph? What if he'd said to his dad, you know, God gave me this dream and he gave me this future plan. I'm going to be a ruler somewhere. I better run to Egypt and get trained. It's not too far from us. Jacob might have agreed with that. We don't know. And I know Joseph didn't do that, but he could have done that in his heart. We don't know what God put in Joseph's heart any more than we know what God was planting in my heart before I was aware of it. Do you understand? He was pulling me through it, and I was blind. He was pulling Joseph through, and Joseph was blind. And I'm telling you, he's pulling you through and you're blind. You're no different than I am. You're no different than Joseph. And I tell you, we've got to stop fighting against God's work in our lives. It's his work, not our work. Well, I finally said, Lord, I can't preach like my husband. So I'm out of here. Do you know what God did? He put me on radio five days a week. And he said, go preach with your husband. Then the fear will be gone at the pulpit. And then God had to cut off my family. He took away my favorite brother because I could whine and wail and say, Oh, Jesus, you called Hank and he failed. Well, let Hank pass in and, and I'll pass by. The Lord wouldn't accept that. But it's grace and mercy that he allowed me to go to Chicago and intercede for my brother every day for him. As a witnessing testimony, what God had done in my heart for 13 or 14 years. God's grace and mercy. 
I still feel this hammering on my soul because I sometimes hear the voices of my past. They'll say, Jan, you can't do anything right. This happens when I fall off the log. And I get in despair and I get discouraged. And I'll hear a voice that says, Jan, you're not a real pastor. See, this is Satan coming and saying, you don't have a degree. But the Lord has said, stand up, preach my word. I've called you. And I only do it in humble obedience and say, Lord, I'm here. I'm your servant. I'm your vessel. I have to ask you a question. Has God been messing up your life? Has God been hammering in your life too? Has he been trying to sharpen you like a sword that will pierce the darkness of Washington, D.C.? I know if you're in this congregation and you've been called here, he'll hammer you. He'll mess with your life because he's going to speed up the process. If it took me 13 years, he's not going to give us 13 years now as a body. He has something else he wants to do. He's on his time clock. He's hammering on our lives because he has a city to win. It's Washington, D.C. It's not about my life and my circumstances and my home and my children and my grandchildren and, you know, all those things that have to snare me. It's not about my job. It's not about my career. It's when will you stop fighting God's work in our lives? When will we all submit everything to Jesus? It took the pit for Joseph. And it took the next step in verse 26. As he was in the pit, Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he's our brother. He's our flesh, our blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern, and they sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. Verse 31. Then they got Joseph's robe, and they slaughtered a goat, and they dipped the robe into blood. They took this rich robe back to their father and said, Look, we found this. Examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. And then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and he mourned for his son many days. I had to ask the Lord a question. Jesus, if you wanted Joseph to get to Egypt and to Pharaoh, wasn't there an easier way? Do you have to take him from his, his family? Do you have to put him and make him a slave? Oh, Lord, what happened to his heart as he was having chains around his ankles and a chain around his neck and being pulled and then thrown and bought by Potiphar and thrown into prison? His life was a quietness for so many years because God was working on the inside. You see, God was hammering this man into a tool to be used to birth a nation in Egypt. You see, Jacob's little family of 70, they couldn't conquer the land, the promised land in, in Canaan. 
And I'm telling you, we, this little 35 to 50 body, we can't conquer Washington, D.C. It's the Spirit of God. It's the Lord. He has to hammer us. He has to drill in us and say, will you follow me? Are you willing to be willing to be hammered? Are you willing to follow God's work in your life and let go of all the circumstances? Because you see, God has a city that he wants to win and a nation. And he wants us to say yes to Jesus. No matter what our circumstances are, just like he wanted Joseph to say, yes, yes, I'll go. And who knows what was in his heart. He was walking down this. He had no clue what the future held. We don't have any clue either. And it feels like we're in the pit. Do you ever feel like when you come into this room, it's a pit? Let me tell you it is. It's the pit of prayer. And will we intercede? Will we pray? Will we get our messes cleaned up as God opens it? Will we be willing to be willing and willing to be made willing? You know, that's what the Lord wants in my heart. That's what he's been drilling for years. And I say, Lord, I'm so sick of the drilling. And he says, back to the pit you go. Uh, Let me find another place. And there he goes drilling. And And I tell you, it's the character that he wants to be refined. It's that character. Now look with me in the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter. Look what the Lord says about this. 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter, verse 16. This is what he says to me when I wail and I whine. And I rebel. He says, Jan, be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Can I say that again? Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't. Put out the Spirit's fire. You know what that's doing? That's fighting against God's work in my heart and in my life. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. Now look at verse 23. God is saying here, May God himself, the God of peace, may God himself, Not his angels, not a prophet, not a witness from somewhere else. May God himself, the God of peace, he's telling us, if I don't have peace in my heart, I don't have order. And if I don't have order in my heart, I don't have God's authority. So if you don't have peace in your heart about what God is trying to do with you, it's either because You're not under God's authority. Or you're rebelling and fighting against the work of God in your heart. That's what he's been telling me I've been doing. That's what he wants us to be aware of that we do. When you find God's peace, 
you'll find his order and you'll find his authority. What if we decided in our home, we don't care and we want to get up. Right now, it doesn't matter. Let's sleep till 10. Nobody knows. We aren't going to the radio now. No. God makes us have a more strict, disciplined life. Get up at 5 instead of 6. Come to the prayer closet. Spend more time with me. Get to bed at 10. No late hours at night. No squandering my life. Fill my soul with the word of God. Be prepared because he wants me full of his word. He wants us all full of his word. He's going to do something in the city. He's ready. And the question is, am I ready? Are you ready? Are we ready? It's not going to be just on my husband and I anymore. It's going to be on all of us. All of us. Now look what he says. Verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Now, but I want to say to God, sanctify me, but don't do it over and over and over. Just one time. I want to get through this thing, Jesus. Make it easy. I'm sick of going back over and over. Are any of you sick of this? Yes. Am I alone? No. We're all tired of it because Jesus says, I'm working on your characters, guys. I want you blended together. I want you to be a holy family. I'm doing something this time. And it's a body. He's birthing a body in this little room called the National Prayer Chapel. And sanctification means I'm under the authority of God. Are you willing to be under the authority of God? Are you willing to say, Lord, I give up my rebellion. Lord, I give up all these things that I want to do myself. I give up all my love. I give up all these desires that taunt me. Lord, I'm willing to be made willing. Sharpen me. I want to be under the authority of God. Because under the authority of God, I'll have his peace. And I'll have his order. And when I'm not under his authority, I have confusion. I have despair. I have discouragement. Now, if you're in confusion, you're not under the peace of God. And you're not under his authority. Because you want it your way. And you don't want to go through and through. You think one time's enough. Jesus, I got this down. I got it licked. I know what this. You did this last time. I know exactly what you want. He says, uh-uh. I got one back here. He loves us. Just like Jacob adored Joseph, the Lord God loves us. And he wants to give us his love and his mercy. But he also says, grow up. I want you to be mature. I want you to stop fighting against what I want to do in your life. I don't want to always have to put you in the prison to grow you up. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body. Do you know what that's saying? Oh, Lord God, that's everything of my inner being. All of my desires, all my emotions, all my passions, all my hungers. Everything I want will be solved and given to me through Jesus as I press into him. And 
then I will be kept blameless. Do you see this? May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. When I'm fighting against him, he says, I can't use you. I can't melt you. I can't mold you. I can't pour through you. You're stiff. You're resistant. He won't use a proud American. You know, we are so proud in this country. And we think we, we are pampered. I'm such a pampered daughter of the Lord. I say sometimes, Lord God, look at the wealth that we live in. All of us. We have beautiful mansions. We drive chariots of gold. We live in pampered homes where they're air-conditioned and heated. We have food. I mean, none of us are starving. We're so pampered, it's hard for God to break my heart. And he has to hammer on me. Look what the promise is in verse 22. He says, The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. He's saying to you and to me, I have called you. I have called you, O National Prayer Chapel. I have called you, and I will do this. I'm going to stop fighting your work in my life and be submitting my soul, everything to you. Know that the Lord had a plan for Joseph, but he couldn't use him as a rich, spoiled child. And know that he has a plan for you and for us as a national prayer chapel. And he's not going to use us when we resist him and we fight against him. And he's saying to us, stop fighting against my work. Stop fighting against my work. I heard him say this in the prayer closet. Chan, stop fighting against what I want to do in your heart. And I had to say, oh Lord. Show me. He wants me and he wants each one of us to say, Lord, I die. I die to you. I give it all to you. It's about you and your kingdom. It's not about me and my kingdom. So tonight, where are you with Jesus? Where's your heart with Jesus? Are you willing to be set apart for him? Or are you in rebellion? He's waiting for you to come and say, Oh yes, I want to give you my peace. But you've got to go find him in your prayer closet. And if you know you're fighting God's work and in your life, I'm here to ask you what he said to me. Stop fighting against my work. Lord God, Lord God, I ask tonight will you have mercy on my soul? Lord, I've decided to stop fighting against you tonight. Lord, would you put my eyes and my heart on your mission in your time frame so that your name may be glorified in the city of Washington, D.C. Lord God, would you put your time frame and your heart and your mission in each one of my brothers and sisters here tonight, Lord, I thank you, Jesus. We will give you all the glory and all the praise. Lord, when this, when the city of Washington, D.C. has been conquered, we will give you the glory. 
for Lord, it is your glory, not my glory, and not our glory. May your kingdom come in our hearts tonight. In the name of Jesus. We pray that you have been awakened today by the Holy Spirit to a new hunger for Jesus and His holiness. If you need someone to pray with you, call 703-490-8723. That number again, 703-490-8723. You can contact us by writing to the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That address again, the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195.